This is Deanne Wooden, and you're listening to the Talking Healthier Tuck Shops podcast, the show that talks all things school tuck shops. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Queensland Association of School Tuck Shops and funded by the Queensland Government through Health and Wellbeing Queensland. From the health of your kids and family to your own wellbeing and happiness, we'll explore topics that matter to you, giving you easy ways to implement them in your tuck shop and your day-to-day life. Today we're talking about school gardens and the wonderful connection they can have with the tuck shop. We are joined by Natasha Grogan, Support and Projects Manager at the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation. Natasha has a wealth of experience working in gardens and schools. She's a qualified horticulturalist, has trained as a primary school teacher and was a Kitchen Garden Foundation garden specialist for four years until 2012. After running her own business teaching young children to grow organic food, Natasha returned to the foundation in 2020 and now leads the Kitchen Garden team to deliver the program Australia-wide. Welcome, Natasha. It's really great to have you along on the Healthier Tuck Shops podcast. Uh, Looking forward to having this wonderful conversation around school gardens and the connections with school tuck shops. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Natasha, I've been aware of the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation since I first worked in the education sector in Brisbane back in the mid-2000s. From what I understand, the program is about increasing food literacy in children through positive experiences with growing and cooking vegetables. But I am aware that that may sound a bit nutritionist um, in a way to talk about it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the history and purpose of the program and how it has evolved over time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we were fund- founded by Stephanie Alexander herself, who's an Australian icon, in 2004. And the purpose was uh, educating primary school age children to develop positive food habits for life. And that was through growing fresh, seasonal, delicious food. And then over the past 20 years, we've evolved to meet the needs of children and young people and educators Australia-wide. And now the program exists in across three sectors. So we're in early childhood, we're in primary schools, and we're in secondary schools. And I guess what we do now, you know, in 2023 is that we provide kitchen garden members with the inspiration, information, professional development, human resources and support to run their kitchen garden programs as unique as they are Australia-wide. You know, we've got some schools that have 17 students and we've got some schools that have 2,000-plus students. So we like to be able to meet the needs of educators Australia-wide from early childhood all the way through to the secondary years and meeting needs of um, curriculum. So it has a real impact. Thank you. Is the is the curriculum um, aspect of the program present in early childhood, primary and secondary, or is it just in one area? We've developed it. To, so in early childhood, it's the NQS, the National um, Quality Standard, and the EYLF. So we've made sure that the program targets that you know, within the foundation, we talk about pleasurable food education, and that's about 
it being a joy and a pleasure for the children to be a part of this growing, harvesting, preparing, sharing cycle. But we talk about how it also has to be a pleasure for the educators. And to do that, it can't be an additional thing. Oh, we also have to run this program. So we see it a part of our role to make sure that those educators in early childhood, primary and secondary are supported to link it back to their curriculum. So they can tick a few boxes while having a pleasurable time with the children. That's that's a real aim for us. Yeah, I can see how it can feel like a bit of an add-on sometimes. I know that schools and teachers are very busy places and people and trying to put an extra program into the school is always a challenge, I guess, and I know that schools don't take those decisions lightly. It needs to be really well accepted across the school community and integrated into as many different areas and, like you say, ticking those boxes for different um, curriculum opportunities for the teachers and, and I guess other elements of the school community as well. When I first was aware of the the foundation, Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation, something um, that struck me back then was it was it seemed to be more about that pleasurable experience of growing and eating food, and there didn't seem to be a lot of nutrition component. And obviously, you know, I'm a dietitian by background, so I was really looking for that. Uh, has that evolved over the time as well? Do you think? It depends how you frame it. I guess what we've really wanted to do, and nutrition, of course, and health is a part of this, is get children to eat fresh, seasonal, delicious food. That's nutritious and delicious without using a language of you must eat X, Y, Z per day to be a healthy child. It was more about go into the garden. How wonderful, how wondrous. Look at those tomatoes. Don't you want to eat them? Yes, you're eating them off your pop. You know, it it needed to be a bit or the vision was to be a bit more holistic than that but absolutely there's nutritional of course benefits yeah for sure okay so moving on to i guess not just talking about the actual program but talking about school gardens in in schools I know that school gardens can be a fraught topic and, again, when I was working in the education sector, uh, my role was to work with teachers thinking about how to integrate nutrition into the curriculum across all of the subject areas. So how could you integrate nutrition into your maths? How can you integrate it into English, you know, procedural writing, writing a recipe or maths, doing measurements, etc.? And a lot of the interest or the the biggest interest I got was when I talked about how a school garden could be integrated into the curriculum and could be a really great way to teach children about nutrition. But like you were saying with the foundation, it's about increasing that pleasurable aspect and getting kids excited about eating the produce that comes from the garden. So it was a really popular topic uh, when I was working in the education sector But there was also a lot of barriers, I guess, around gardens in school and there was a lot of debate whether it was a wise and sustainable use of resources within the school. So things like infrastructure costs and the setup costs, 
the ongoing maintenance needs of gardens because gardens don't stop needing maintenance over the school holidays, especially at the Christmas school holidays that go for so long. Also, you know, whether it's relevant to the teaching and learning program of the school and whether it can be integrated into the curriculum. So how does the kitchen garden successfully deal with all of these issues? And you've, you've talked a little bit about curriculum, um, but maybe, you know, that infrastructure and setup and the long-term maintenance of the garden over time. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on in saying that a garden requires work. We know that. You have to own that from the get-go. It can't be a fantasy. We want to have this idyllic garden that produces all this food. You've got to be aware of the work that goes into it infrastructure, maintenance, um, you know, even just watering over the holidays. How does this all happen? And I was a garden specialist for four and a half years with the foundation back in 2008. So I've been privy to all of these conversations and they're worth really understanding and looking at before you tackle something like this. That said, in 20 years of working with children and gardens, for all the work that goes into it, the benefit of the program so far outweighs the infrastructure, the maintenance, the conversations about who has the chickens or where does the worm farm go. It is such a space for growth beyond education. It's community growth, personal growth. You know, you see children that don't necessarily shine or have an opportunity to shine in the classroom become someone in the garden or become someone else in the kitchen. There's engagement for families, for grandparents, cultural diversity, conversations about history. And it's so rich in what it offers that once you get past that initial hurdle of who, what, how, why, you've kind of got to see it in action to understand why it's so brilliant. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. Uh, but if we go back to, I guess, the the basic needs of setting up a garden, what are the things that a school needs to have in place to start a garden, whether it's through the Kitchen Garden Foundation or just, you know, them wanting to start their own garden? What are the key elements that a school would need to have in place to, to get that started? First of all, though, you've got to have the right space. If you don't have enough sun, if you don't have access to water, if you haven't worked out what your soil is, you're already going to be in trouble. So first of all, you have to make sure it doesn't have to be big. It can be a wine barrel in the middle of a courtyard. You know, that is a garden. That is a kitchen garden program at the beginning. But if you don't have that clear, you know, I've seen schools that have put a lot of effort into gardens that are covered by gum trees or, you know, and you're already in trouble. So I think that's the first one. And I think understanding your community, understanding who's going to be a part of this, who do I need to make sure that this moves forward is important. Am I answering your question? Am I starting to get too excited about other no, things? No, no, that, that, they're good, good uh, tips for sure. Uh, I was sort of thinking from a, a staffing or personnel perspective within the school, I guess the, the champion of the garden can come from many different places within the school community. Uh, I know when I was working in education and I, I, I started a school garden network and we had meetings and the people that came to those meetings were really wide and varied. So more often they were groundsmen, but sometimes they were classroom teachers, sometimes they were tuck shop conveners, 
Uh, sometimes they were admin staff at the school. So it was re- really quite wide and varied. Do you have a recommendation of, you know, who it could or should be in the school community that sort of is the champion? We have a recommendation that your program is led by a team of two and that from the beginning of your program, you're very clear about who that team of two are. Now across the three sectors, particularly in early childhood, that could be a parent and the leader of the three-year-old room. In a primary school, that could be the grade three teacher and perhaps the language teacher. It doesn't really matter, but as long as there's clarity that there are two people who are, like you said, the champions and that if they were to move on, who do they then hand the program on to? Because what I think Australia-wide with programs like this you see is that it's a a person who's it's a passion project and they love it and they love the garden that they've got X amount of time. And when they move on, which they do because children grow up that then whose shoulders does it fall on so the hope is that it becomes embedded but that relationship of handing over the baton is very clear within the community now we've got early childhood services where it's run by one of course it can be run by one person but we all like a buddy two is what we um provide all of our expertise to help support so how do you find that two what what kind of um you know, we've even got documents that are just what kind of roles and responsibilities will they have? How can they run meetings? What, you know, what do some emails look like? We we try and support that for the educators as much as possible. Yeah. I also had a question around the costs, but, you know, I really love what you said that a wine barrel in the middle of a courtyard can be a school kitchen garden. And I guess that answers my question around caustic cost it can be quite uh, varied depending on you know what the size of the garden is and what the infrastructure the school decides on is so you know I know that there's lots of opportunities for grants um, in Queensland the Queensland government has a grant around managing uh, organic school waste which is open towards the end of each year so we know of uh, a tuck shop convener for example who applied for that that grant and got it and used it to set up a school garden and a composting system so you know that there's ways and means that schools can can access some funds to set up school gardens or they can join a program like uh, the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation as well and and get some help there. And I think that's a really important thing you know what we talk about at the foundation and we're we're a membership-based program so once you join as program members you're a part of Um, the program for two years and then it's a renewal but within that we give you all of that support and the idea is start small dream big you don't need to have a huge productive garden and a state-of-the-art kitchen you can have the wine barrel and you can have what we call a kitchen trolley which you can wheel around to the rooms and it's got a mortar and pestle and it's got a grater and it's got measuring you know like it can be very basic the idea is to get the children enthusiastic and the young people enthusiastic about growing, harvesting, preparing and sharing. So I think Start Small, Dream Big is my favourite way to talk to any educator about this program. I love that. Thanks very much, Natasha. All right, so obviously we're here to talk about tuck shops as an organisation mm-hmm. and I know that you call them canteens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in every other state in Australia except for Queensland. We're, at Quas, we're very keen on increasing the vegetable content of tuck shop menus and we're also keen on promoting, promoting environmentally responsible practices in the tuck shop. So with those goals in mind, for us it makes sense that if a school has a garden 
already, then a connection with the tuck shop can have dual benefits. You know, it can, the garden can provide produce for the tuck shop menu and the tuck shop can be a, a source of wastes, uh, food scraps for, for the garden as well. Do you have examples of where this is happening in schools uh, in the Kitchen Garden Foundation where there's a strong relationship between the program that you run and also the school canteen or school tuck shop? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is, it's so important that the children see and young people see have the crossover. You know, life doesn't work in isolation and community doesn't work in isolation. So if you're growing the food and you've got a surplus of silver beet and then the next week on the canteen there's a silver beet frittata, you know, oh, I see this in action now. So we have got, um, and actually I can pass on some articles, but lots within Queensland in particular where there is a marriage between that tuck shop and their kitchen garden programs um, where the children are creating some of the food that goes into the canteen. So I've seen lots of different, I guess, um, connections between the tuck shop and, and the school garden. So I've heard of uh, schools having a pizza garden where they're growing things like tomatoes and capsicum and basil and then those that produce goes into the the um, menu item on the tuck shop. And I've also seen schools that will produce little punnets of pizza garden, um, you know, seedlings. So they would have a tomato, a capsicum and a basil plant, for example, and parents can buy those and then the the, um, the proceeds go into the PNC, for example, as a fundraising activity. Um, I've seen examples of where tuck shops will have the produce from the garden on display in a basket at the you know at the counter at the tuck shop and that's a really great way of showcasing you know what's being produced at a time when students are up there getting some food they're actually seeing this lovely fresh produce uh, I've seen tuck shop menus that have a daily garden special. So, you know, they don't specify in advance what that special might be. It's really driven by what's coming out of, of the garden from, from a harvest perspective. So, yeah, there's so many great ways that I've already seen connections between um, gardens and tuck shops. So, yeah, loving loving what I'm hearing from you. Apart from this connection with the tuck shop, what are some other benefits that you've seen with gardens in schools? And you, you did sort of allude to those in, in the first question. So if you wouldn't mind expanding a little bit more on other benefits that you've seen with, with gardens in schools. Well, I think, you know, for me, the first thing that always springs to mind is connecting children back to nature. It's connecting them back to their physical bodies, but having them have a respect and appreciation for their natural world in a way that they probably hadn't, might not have, you know, if you've got more urban children, they're not aware of what a corn looks like or what a pumpkin looks like, you know, what an adventure. But I think having them be really physical and, and focused on something is such a beautiful thing for a lot of children. It's also a very good teacher working in nature because nothing comes quickly and um, there's often disappointment, you know, that's the truth. You I think you're have, talking about my gardening efforts there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about all of our gardening efforts. You know, that the truth is you might fall in love with a big 
um, you know, Russian tomato and by the next week a rat has found it. So how do you deal with the disappointment of that? What did that look like? How do we solve that? How do we move on from it and plant another tomato and not feel defeated, you know? But then there's also that celebration reward so that all this effort is taken so long for something to grow and now we get to celebrate it together. So I think I really love that connection with nature that you have for the children. I think there's an opportunity to form new relationships, whether that's within their peer group or with a parent volunteer. It could be a parent volunteer with very little English or it could be a parent volunteer who has a skill set that's not, you know, like a woodworker or, you know, something like that. So there's a lot of opportunities for, for development of relationships and there's a lot of opportunity for children, like I said in the beginning, which I think is one of my favourite things is for children to shine. You know, there's a lot of children that I've worked with over the years. Perhaps they're um, developmentally delayed. Perhaps they have issues at home. You know, there, there can be a whole breadth of things where this is a space for them to, to find themselves. And, and I think that's always very, very exciting to watch. The list is endless. I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, you know, that gardens are a good place for disengaged students, but I've also heard criticism of that sort of position because it can be seen sometimes as a bit of a babysitter and also it might be seen as a reward if a child is not behaving as expected in the classroom, they can go out to the, the garden. And of course, all the kids want to go out in the garden and have a play. So, how you know for for those students that are disengaged how does school garden sort of walk the line between not being too much of a reward but also you know helping to bring those students back into the school environment oh i mean that's such a huge question isn't it because it's so dependent on your class your capacity because at the end of the day shouldn't every child have the opportunity to shine if they're not shining in the classroom it's not a reward to tell them to go outside and learn outside if you're clever enough educator and you have capacity, they're not vibing on the science class. There's science in the garden. You can go and work that way. So everything can always work to your advantage. And the aim is that the child thrives. Um, and if it's seen as a, oh, well, you just get to walk around the garden, I don't think you're doing your job properly. Like, yeah. <laughs> it and, should be work. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said, the, the garden needs to have a, be a source of enjoyment for everyone in the school. And I think a teacher, if their purpose is, you know, to educate children and to help children to learn, if they can see that happening in the school garden, they can only be supportive of that as an option for them. Yeah, absolutely. And then hopefully we have, you know, young thinkers that can see outside the box and that, you know, they're committed to something and they find their passion and that's a job well done in my book. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've come to the end of the little chat today. Thank you so much, Natasha. It's been wonderful talking to you and learning a lot more about Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation and just, you know, the ins and outs of gardens in schools in general. And I hope that our listeners are feeling inspired and also, you know, getting some of those really practical back to basics tips about uh, getting involved in a school garden and understanding that it doesn't have to be a massive, massive obstacle. Um, it can be really, really simple and starting small and dreaming big is, is such fantastic advice. So thank you so much again for your time. My absolute pleasure. And if anyone ever has any questions, please reach out. That's what we're here for five days a week to support educators. So if they have any questions or um, 
seeking advice, please, please reach out. We'll, I'm sure you'll give all of our details. Yep. Thank you. My pleasure. The Talking Healthier Tuck Shops podcast is produced by the team at Quast and made possible thanks to funding from the Queensland Government through Health and Wellbeing Queensland. Visit quast.org.au to learn more about other program opportunities and for the latest tuck shop tips, ideas and advice. Listener.